Amen. What is up, church? That was, that was decent. Online, how are you guys doing? Uh, I'm so glad to be here this morning. I'm so glad that you are as well. Uh, a couple notes as we get started. Now, there's a guy named Jesse walking around filming things today. Uh, so he's filming for some uh, videos we're putting together for website, all that stuff. So if you see him and he's pointing a camera at you, ignore him and look really, really, really engaged. Okay? <laughs> That's the first thing. Second thing, we had our big kickoff last week. And uh, I'm so excited that, that you guys answered the call and, what, triple? I don't know what that is. Uh, raised $1,000, $1,061 uh, to match what the kids were putting in, $137. Uh, I am so pumped that you guys answered that call. And that's not the first call that you answered. So last week, we had over 20 People sign up for teams to start volunteering, kids team, welcome team, video team. That is amazing. We also had people sign up for groups. And uh, a note on the groups, uh, we heard the comment a lot that uh, a lot of you came down and said, oh, I'm, I'm looking for an in-person group. And so two of our groups that were originally on Zoom are now meeting in person. So the signups for those groups will go out uh, tomorrow via newsletter and put on social media. So if you're sitting here, you're like, oh man, I didn't get to sign up for a group. I don't know, I fell asleep last week or I didn't come to church or, or I just got so excited by the bouncy houses. I had to get out there and I, I skipped the sign up. Uh, I want to tell you, you have not missed your opportunity. So tomorrow in the newsletter, uh, via email or on social media, there will be a group's sign up so that you can get involved and intentionally spending at least an hour a week with a group of Christ followers that are studying scripture together, praying together, building community with each other. Another cool thing that happened last week, we announced our October for our city event. And we were, were raising, uh, going out, making baskets for a ministry called The Hub. A hub is a group of tiny homes in Chippewa, and they offer transitional housing for those that don't have housing, and they offer life coaching and, and all these things to help get people off their feet. And so last week we said, hey, we want to make 20 baskets that will go into a tiny home, and so when someone comes into their home for the first time, they get a basket of essentials that they can have and be blessed with. And so last week, those slips went like that. And we, we got all 20 accounted for. Uh, they've already started coming in this morning. I'm so excited about that. Excited about what we can do as a church for our city. To be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Today I want to talk about uh, generosity. We're going to go through two weeks of uh, sermons about generosity, and then we're going to dive into a longer series on the book of Genesis. So turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Uh, there is Jesus, and he's at a Pharisee's house, a religious ruler's house. 
And they're sitting around the table eating and, and hanging out, talking, chatting, uh, doing what people do around a meal. And this woman comes in. And this woman comes in, kind of barges in. I imagine at that time there, there's probably a low table and people are kind of reclining at the table. And all the, 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 the people with some uh, credibility are there, right? Like they're people that kind of earn the spot to be at the table. And then this woman comes in, and we don't know a whole lot about the woman. Uh, it says that she is a sinner. And she comes in, she, she was living a sinful life, and then uh, she heard about Jesus eating at this house. So she walks into the house, kind of barges into the house, and in verse 38, 7 verse 38, she stood behind Jesus weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. This is a beautiful scene. This is a, an act of worship, an act of honor. See, typically, when you walk into someone's home, they walked around with sandals or, or barefoot, and so their feet were dirty. So typically, when you walk into somebody's home, their act of hospitality, their act of honor is to wash your feet. And so this woman knows who Jesus is, knows what he's all about. And her response to that is to walk into the meal, break open a jar of perfume, wash his feet with her tears, with her hair, pour perfume on, anoint him. This is a beautiful act of worship that we see in this story. A little bit later down in verse 44, you see the, the Pharisees didn't really appreciate this act of worship, right? They're like, who's this uh, woman who has a reputation coming into my house doing this to my guest? And Jesus is kind of going, look, you're missing the point. Like, you don't really get it. In fact, you didn't wash my feet when I walked in, but this woman is here washing my feet, honoring me worshiping me. I think she's the one that really gets it. See, Jesus turns towards the woman and said to Simon Peter, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head and she has poured perfume on my feet. This is a lavish, expensive act of worship and honor for Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Throughout scripture, we see people that have experiences with Jesus. They, they get a glimpse of who he is. They, they see who he is. And their response is generosity. Their response is to give. Her response for seeing Jesus, for experiencing his love, his grace, forgiveness, is to give. 
It's to honor. It's to worship. I think that's so beautiful. Uh, Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we have another story, and this is of Zacchaeus. Uh, You can find stories all throughout the New Testament of this. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he spent his life, he made his riches off taking advantage of you and me. If we were sitting in that village at the time, he'd be going to your house, getting more money than he was supposed to, so that he could line his pockets with more and more money. He was for sure a hated person in the city. So Zacchaeus is sitting there. Jesus is walking down the road. Maybe if you've been in church, you know the song that is, follows, where Zacchaeus, a wee little man, wee little man is he. He's short, so he goes to the sycamore tree to see what he could see. You got it? All right. I thought maybe you'd start singing along or something, but that's okay. It's all right. Um, and Jesus sees him and, and beckons him, says, come here. I want to go to your house. And everybody in the crowd is like, what? Not his house? Like, he's the most hated man in the city. Why are you going to go to his house? Jesus goes, I want to hang out with you. Yeah, yeah, I know. You are a horrible person. That is exactly why I want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus has a response to Jesus wanting to hang out with him. In his response, is in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. I give half of what I cheated if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and I will give back four times that amount. Zacchaeus meets this experience with Jesus with generosity. Not only repaying what he took from people, but giving back four times that amount. By saying there's something in this interaction with Jesus, something that's happening in my heart and in my mind that's like calling me to give back. And then the last one is the Acts 2 church. We talked about this the last couple weeks where the Acts 2 church is uh, Jesus leaves, comes back. Reminds everybody, your job is to go and make disciples in Eau Claire, in Wisconsin, in the United States, and in the entire world. Like, that is your job. And then the Holy Spirit comes and lights everything on fire. And then the church begins. And the response to the move of Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, is the church beginning and meeting together in homes. Praying together. Sharing everything with each other. Singing songs, studying scripture together. And it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone that had a need. 
Why? Why is so often you see in Scripture the response to who Jesus is and to what Jesus is doing in our lives? Generosity. Why? Like you didn't see Jesus come back and go, hey, listen, you need to go and make disciples in your city, in your, t- in your state. Like you need to go make disciples and be generous to everybody. Like that wasn't part of the command. So why is it happening? Why does it seem to naturally be the outflow of an experience and relationship with Jesus? Why? And I think there's two things to this. I think that it's a natural outflow because we are in relationship with and serve a God that is first and foremost giving. So it makes sense, right? We serve a God that is giving. And so as we follow him, as we uh, give our lives to him, as we make him the center of our lives, the natural outflow of our lives should be giving. It should be others. Don't believe me? Here's just some verses. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He will not also, uh, along with him, graciously give us all things. James 117, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, you will have what you need and you will abound in every good work. Philippians 2, in the ultimate example of Jesus, Paul says, look, do nothing out of vain conceit. Don't like kill selfish ambition. But look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And that, that interest word there is actually like a blank word. It, it's a fill-in word. So look not only to your own family, your house, your job, your community, but look to the blank of others. So this isn't just about us. It is about us serving and loving others. And Jesus goes, look, this is the whole reason he came, was to serve and love others, was to give. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant to continually give. And Paul says, look, I hope that you have the same mindset as Christ. So first and foremost, we serve, we follow a God that is giving. A God that is generous. 
more generous than you or I can even imagine. And then throughout the the New Testament, we see the church, and constantly, in all the letters to the churches, there is this constant theme. God is generous, so you be generous. God will provide, so you can be generous. Acts 4, we see the church again being generous. Acts chapter 6, we see the church organizing themselves and giving of their tithes and offerings uh, and their time and, and possessions and passions. And they were able to feed the widows in the community who were going hungry. We see time and time again the early church stepping out in faith because of God, because of who he is, to meet the needs of the people around them. So why do we talk about generosity? Because God is generous. And if that's our source, then we are called to be generous. And there's another reason why I believe generosity giving is so connected to Jesus and who Jesus is. Why there's a constant pattern throughout scriptures that when people meet Jesus, they start opening their hands and being more generous with whatever they have. Turn with me to Matthew 6. See, I believe that as we start taking steps of faith, right? Do you remember our definition of faith from a few series ago? Definition of faith. I brought up a little tiny chair up here. It's literally like this big. And the definition of faith is not only believing that that chair will hold me up, but it's me actually putting my weight on it. So it's one thing to look at this little chair, imaginary chair, and look at it and go, it's got four legs. I think it can hold me up. It should hold me up. It was designed to hold me up, but it's a whole nother thing to actually go and sit down in it. That's true faith. The true faith isn't looking at something from afar and going, I think it'll hold me up. I think I can depend on it. The true act of faith is actually taking a step and putting your weight on whatever it is. That's faith. And I think the second reason that we are called to be generous, like that is our response to who Jesus is, is because as you follow Jesus... As you take steps of faith, as you put your weight on him, we find that he provides. And through, no matter what season you're in, if everything's going great, if everything's kind of a struggle right now, Like we see that he provides, he sustains through it all. 
This is the reason why community is so important. Because I need you to remind me when I start to forget that Jesus is providing. I need you to step up and go, hey, remember, Jesus is providing. Look at your life. Look at your relationship with him. Think back to all those places that he provided. Or, if you can't think of anything, I'll tell you places in my life that he's provided. I want to encourage you. Keep the faith. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep trusting. Keep taking steps of faith. And keep putting your weight on him because it is worth it. See, in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking and he turns his attention towards treasures. And he starts in and he says, look, here's a principle that is true. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So Jesus isn't saying like, treasure is horrible, right? He's just saying treasure is this massively huge thing in our life that is very influential. And wherever your treasure is, there is a tendency as a human to also have my heart here. The treasure has a tendency to become the center of our lives. So you want to feel secure? Save more money. Make better investments so that you can secure your future, right? You want to feel good? Like you had a bad day, you're struggling? I want to feel good. I want like a little hit of dopamine, so I'm going to go buy something, right? Or, or I don't feel like I'm as good as the neighbors, like the Joneses over there, whoever they are, keep buying all these things, and they have really nice things, and I want nice things so I could feel good, so I could at least feel like I'm on their level. I want to feel better about myself, so I'm going to go buy something. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. You cannot get away from that truth in our lives. It is absolutely the truth. It's why Jesus talked about money more than anything else. Money can be an incredible tool in our lives. It can also enslave you. And it's why Jesus says a couple verses later, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both and love both God and money. One will always win out. It's a heart check question, right? Which one is winning out in your life right now? Like as you look at the landscape of your life, where your thoughts are, where your motives are, where you think your needs are, which one is winning out? Is it the love for God or is it the love for money? Where is your treasure? Because your heart will also be there. And Jesus immediately launches into this 
uh, section on scripture. And I'll, I'll just read it for you a little bit. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Interesting how Jesus goes from treasure, heart, uh, love of money to don't worry. Right? How many people are worried about your finances? You don't have to raise your hand. How many people are worried about your finances right now? I would guess. I don't know how many I would guess. Maybe half the room would say yes. I'm actually very concerned. And I have good reason to be very concerned because I don't have enough coming in. So Jesus stacks treasure, heart, money. Very next statement, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, or about what you wear. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't... uh, They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's going, look, don't worry. And if you start to worry, if you start to be consumed by your scarcity, by what you don't have, Jesus says, go for a walk outside and look around, because you will be reminded of who I am. And what I do as your father. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's a heart check question right there. Can you add anything to your life by worrying. It hasn't worked for me. He goes on to talk about God. The flowers in the field. So do not worry by saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Jesus is saying, trust the Father. Because the Father provides. You're his kids. He knows what you need. It may not always be on your time schedule or the way that you thought it should happen. But he knows your needs. And he is our father who will provide. So why do I think that our reaction, our call is to be generous? A, because God is generous. And B, because we can trust the father to have our backs. As we take steps of faith and put our weight on him, we get caught up in this relationship where we get to watch how he provides. Which then strengthens your faith and the faith of everyone around you. The next time you come upon a chair and you're like, "Ah, I think that will hold me up. It gives you faith to then actually put your faith on it quicker the next time around. 
So how are you doing on generosity? Here's a couple questions. How are you doing on being generous with your time? Maybe take an assessment of where you are spending your time. If the majority of your time is being used to get you something, I would challenge you. Be intentional about maybe using some of your time. Yeah, maybe it might mean you don't watch that Netflix series as quickly as you did before. But be intentional about taking some of your time and giving it to maybe something where you don't see the direct benefit right away. Or if there is a benefit, you'll see it in the long run. Because too often we use our time as a way to just get us things, to provide for ourselves. So I would challenge you, take an assessment of where are you spending your time? We all live very busy, very full lives. And so we have to be very intentional about how we use our time. You're only given so many hours. How are you using them? And how are you being generous with them? The next question is how are you being generous with your thoughts about other people? Now this is something I've been more convicted of over the last couple months. Uh, There is a pastor, his name is Andy Stanley, and he talks about trust versus suspicion. And he says, look, uh, you have expectations, you have hopes as you interact with other people, right? As you interact at your job, as you interact with friends, if you interact with families, interact on social media, like you have a whole kind of pre-thought out, uh, pre-thoughts and hopes about what that person is going to do, what the experience is going to be like. And he says, there is a gap between what you hope for and what you experience. There is a gap there. I hope, if I ask this person how their day is, I hope they're going to ask me how my day is. My hope, my expectation is that I will help this person and then they will help me when I need it. There is a hope, there is an expectation, and then there is a gap when reality hits. And I've been very convicted of this. What do you fill the gap with? Do you fill it with trust or do you fill it with suspicion? See, we can think generous thoughts about other people. We can come to the table with generosity. That would be trust. Because you can fill that gap with suspicion and go, see, I knew it. I knew where they were on that side. I knew they didn't really care about me. I knew they were selfish. Or you can lead with trust. Maybe I should talk to them first before forming some sort of opinion. Maybe I shouldn't assign them to this group or that group until we really have a a deep, honest conversation. 
Maybe my first reaction to, to what they just said shouldn't be anger and bitterness in my heart. Trust versus suspicion. So when you see somebody post that thing on social media, what do you fill the gap with? That thing that, that makes you a little disappointed. That thing that isn't what you hoped they would post. That thing that disagrees with your thought. What do you fill that gap with? It's easy to go, oh, oh, I knew it. I knew they were on that side. I knew they were that person, that kind of person. I knew only that kind of person would think those things. And so I'm going to sever all relationship. I'm going to disconnect myself because it's me versus them. Or you can go, hmm, I wonder why they posted that. I wonder what the thought was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a conversation. I'm going to trust that they are good. I'm going to trust that they're following Jesus. I'm going to trust that they have the right motives, that they have the right heart. And I want to have a conversation about that. The ways that we think about people. Are we leading with trust or are we leading with suspicion? I believe, and I've seen over this last year and a half, we are a culture that is leading by suspicion. And it is tearing us down. I believe God has called us, Jesus calls us, to lead with generous thoughts. That means leading with trust first. And then lastly, how are you being generous with your resources? The money that the Father gives you to be a steward of, how are you giving? How are you being generous with it? Because we are invited not only to receive from the Father, right? Not only to receive the good gifts, Receive the job, receive the income that helps us do what we want to do in life. Buy the house, buy the car, do the hobbies, do all the things. I believe that Jesus invites us into a relationship where we are receiving and that we are also giving out of that. So as worship team comes up, just take time. Do a little assessment. How are you being generous? How are you giving of your time, of your thoughts, and of your resources? Now, you might be sitting here this morning going, man, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm good. Like, I, I've been praying. Like, I'm doing, I'm responding to what Jesus is calling me to. I'm, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm putting my weight on it. I'm watching Jesus provide. I'm seeing Jesus do all these things. And that is awesome. I hope that we are all in that spot someday. But if you're sitting here going, man, like, I look at my time. I'm really pretty selfish. Like, all my time is kind of devoted to me. Right? Or those that I like. Like, maybe your next step is to go, oh, I need to be intentional here. 
and I need to give up one hour a week and do something with it that is giving. Or maybe your thought life is just kind of a wreck right now. And every person that you see that is on the opposite side of you, first of all, it's an issue that we make sides out of everything. But if, if your response to the person that is on the opposite side of you is anger and bitterness, you're in a place where you are leading with a lot of suspicion. And I'll just tell you, your heart and your soul is in jeopardy. And maybe you need to be more disciplined and lead with trust first. Maybe you're the place where everything I spend is spent on me, my habits, my hobbies. And maybe your next step is, I just need to start giving back. Because God is my father. And man, he is good. He gives me everything I need. In my experience with Jesus, I need to reflect that generosity in my own life. So the invitation is to pray. To spend some time with Jesus. Take an assessment. Where are you at generosity-wise? And then take a step of faith. Put your weight on it. Jesus, we praise you. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that as we walk through these doors, that you are working and you are transforming our hearts and our minds. 